welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg. This is episode... Did I say that weird? No. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I am Meg. This is episode 51. <laughs> Connie, Mall Madness champion 1999, is going to tell us all about the Lane Bryant murders. When... Megan told me you're just going through the stores. I was like, you know, I always have a method to my madness and I did not realize that. But now that you mention it, indeed, (laughs) indeed, (laughs) it's you just you like shopping. That's okay. And I think it's like the idea of crimes that just happen in very public places like that. It is so fascinating to me. It's crazy. When I worked for uh, a skate shop in the mall. There's only really one. So you guess which one. But at that time, we had another store on the East Coast. And one of the girl's ex-boyfriends went in there and shot both of them. Like Jeez. both of the people working. She was a manager and she had an employee working. And it was crazy. Like the whole company was just, they reeled. It was like, what? How could that happen? How? <laughs> it's just, it's awful. And Honestly, I feel like in America, like mass shootings have become become something we see. It's almost like, like monthly. Every day. Yeah. It's more than monthly. Yeah. yeah. I see one I at least once a week. The of the, yeah. And it's <laughs> no like, way. <laughs> and like you hear the stories, you're traumatized, you're polarized with fear. And it's like for a period of time, you're just like kind of live in this panic world where it's like anticipating where it's going to happen next. Am I going to be in public when this happens? Like it was like a Kroger last week. Yeah. I think there was just. It's something. I mean, I talked to our kids about school shootings, which is the scariest thing to have to be like, hey, this, this is why you do these drills. This could happen. This is what you should do. But uh, uh, and like when I go out, if I'm at I mean, I don't really go to the mall anymore, which is kind of sad as much as I used to love it. But I go to stores and I'm looking around like, okay, if something crazy were to go down right now, I could hide here. I could get out here. There's always an access hallway somewhere. Yeah. Go into a store and be like, there is a shooter in the mall. Let's go out your back door. Every store pretty much in a mall has a back door that leads to like a secret back access hallway. That's like. Kind of, I don't know if I should tell people that, but yeah, they do. Please don't sue us. <laughs> Who's going to sue us? Every mall? Every mall. <laughs> There's like four left in America. <laughs> this is also something I want to ask like our listeners from different countries. Is this happening more places than in America? Because I feel like the only place that I hear about this much like these mass shootings on such a grand scale, such a frequent scale is here. I just need to know if this is happening everywhere. I think occasionally we see one come out of the UK where it's usually not, not to that extent or someone runs a bunch of people down with their car or stuff like that, you know, like a mass, some kind of domestic terrorist attack. Cause that's what those are. Yeah. domestic terrorism are you guys as scared to send your kids to like school as i am every single day i need to know these things but 
usually when yeah <laughs> i wish i could live in that like i can't it's not how i can't I see it i got my blinders on and usually it seems like you hear about a shooting at a school church or workplace and the shooter either takes their own life or they're apprehended or killed by the police that seems to be the outcomes that are like most common it also seems like every mass shooting story starts with just seem like it was any other day. Nothing special about just, today. Just a regular day. Just a regular. It's not. Exactly. So that brings me to February 2nd, 2008. It was a snowy day, frigid, cold in Tinley Park, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. I say Chicago, and I know people have big feelings about the crime that happens there, but in 2009, Tinley Park was selected by Business Week as the best place to raise a family in America. This is not like the dangerous parts of Chicago. It ranks in the 87th percentile for safety. In comparison to Chicago, it's an extremely place to extremely safe place to live, work, or shop. You're not getting like the dangers that you get in a big city. It's very suburbia, but like picture perfect, you would think. On this cold February day, Rhonda McFarland opened the Lane Bryant store at the Tinley Park Shopping Center around 10 a.m. She wasn't supposed to be there. And I hate when I start stories like that. Like she wasn't supposed to be there. But she was the manager, so she was known to come in and help. They were having um, a big clearance event. They had like sent out sent out a bunch of advertisements, so they were anticipating a lot of people there. So she came in to help, which is she was known to do this. She would always come in, even if she wasn't scheduled, if she felt like they needed her help. She was helping a 33-year-old nursing student open the store. Rhonda was a 42-year-old Air Force veteran who had originally worked at the store as kind of a buffer until she figured out what she wanted to do following her divorce and following her separation from the Air Force. But she quickly, she loved her role of store manager. She would use her discount to buy clothes for less fortunate. She was very active in her church environment. I know that's the same face that I made. So she really was, she was thriving. So she decided to stay there for the foreseeable future. She loved the mission statement of Lane Bryant. She loved that it was woman founded, you know, women ran like it's why like she went out of her way to make sure she could help out because of the strong core values that the company had. So like I said, the store opened at 10 a.m. and a few customers had come in to the store to shop. Connie Woolfolk came in to get an outfit for a rare girls night out. She was a single mom of two boys. One was 16 and one was 10. Her 10-year-old suffered from spina bifida, so she spent the majority of her time taking care of him. She didn't get nights out very often. Her friends had been asking her for months to go out for just a girl's night to kind of let loose. And so she finally was like, okay, like, let's do it. Like, I'll go. She treated herself to a manicure and a pedicure. She was actually waiting um, for her nail appointment while she was in the Lane Bryant store. So she was just killing time, you know, getting an outfit. She was a mortgage lender during the housing crash of 2008. So she had, yeah, she had taken on a second job at the Target across the street from Lane Bryant, stocking shelves to help make up the difference in the loss of income, which if you're 
not familiar that time. I mean, the, literally the housing market crashed. No one could sell houses there. Like it was definitely a, a lot that different. Time was great. Gas was like $5 a gallon. Yeah, It was not it was a good time around these parts. <laughs> the other shopper in the store was Sarah Zafransky. She had just graduated from Northern Illinois university in May of 2007 she had just landed her first job after college at CNA Financial in their accounting department. She had a boyfriend who she had like recently posted on his Facebook, like, thank you for the best year ever, a loving family. And she was just trying to buy new winter work clothes, which if you're in an area that gets snow, you know, you have your work clothes for spring and summer and fall, but then winter comes and you got to have different gonna have that different co- that cozy casual yeah that co- <laughs> I'm gonna pat cozy casual so soon after the store opened a tall man with a husky build walked in he appeared to be a delivery driver he stood there for a few minutes talking to the girls Rhonda was really suspicious of the situation because she knew that she wasn't expecting any deliveries that day So she even called another store to see if maybe they were expecting a delivery and it was delivered to the wrong place. Another Lane Bryant store or another another store mall? Yeah, another Lane Bryant store. So he chatted with the women for a few minutes and then out of nowhere, he pulled out a 40 caliber Glock handgun and told Rhonda and her employees that he was robbing the store. He told Connie and Sarah to come to the back of the store and then he ordered all four women to the back room of the store where he tied their hands and their feet with duct tape, forced them to lie down, and then proceeded to rob them. But instead of just robbing the store and leaving, he lingered. Two other women walked in at different times. He ambushed both of them, ushered both of them back to the back room. Jennifer Bishop came into the Lane Bryant store to try to kill time while her husband was at a roofing conference. They were from South Bend, Indiana. They were just in Chicago for the weekend. She was a 34-year-old nurse with three children under the age of eight. Her youngest was six months old. Uh Carrie Hudek was meeting old college friends later that night, and she was looking for the perfect outfit. She was a social worker at Homewood Flossmoor Community High School, which is a school in the area. She was a loving wife who had dedicated her entire life to counseling troubled teens. He tied both of them up like he had the other women with their hands and feet duct taped. He proceeded to also rob them. And it was during this time that every article I read about Rhonda, her personality traits, like I really saw them come through. She was known to always want to help people to try to, you know, do what she can for everyone else. So that's what she tried to do. She managed to loosen her bounds. And at 1044 a.m., the 911 call came in. She had pulled out her phone and tried, like, made this phone call. And I say the like that because when I first heard about this case, like, as it was happening back in 2008, this is what the media was fixated on. So they have this entire conversation. You know, she called, you could hear the assail- he was getting, like, the assailant was getting frazzled. Rhonda was knew she had to do something to try to save these women. They were scared, you know, rightfully so. She was scared. She placed the phone down, made the phone call, and you can hear her whisper, Lane Bryant. 
The dispatcher asks, where at? And she once again whispers, Tinley Park, hurry. And I have goosebumps because I'm going to post the 911 call. You can hear it. Like they released it as part of like the investigation. And I have goosebumps now. You can hear on the call. You can hear her say that. Um, you can hear in the background the um, assailant getting progressively more agitated. You can't make out much of what he's saying. But at the end of the call, you hear him say, I'm losing it. A couple of seconds later, the phone line cuts off. The dispatcher had begged her, stay on the line, stay on the line, don't hang up. But the phone call cut off. Minutes later, and I'm meaning minutes later, police stormed the store. What they found was horrendous. Police find that all six women had been shot in the back of the neck or the head. And at first, it appeared that all of the women had succumbed to their injuries. But the other employee at the store that day, which is why I haven't said her name, she had been shot in the back of the neck, but she had shifted her head just as the suspect had pulled the trigger. So it grazed her neck. So she did what I assume after being shot in the neck would be excruciating. She laid there and just pretended to be dead. She didn't make a sound. She didn't move. And she just waited for help. She knew Rhonda had called the police, and so did the suspect. When the police arrived, they found five bodies and one who was one person who was severely injured, but no assailant. There was no sign of him. In minutes. In minutes. Money had been taken from the register, so it was assumed that it was a robbery gone wrong. The name of the surviving employee has never been released. And for a few days, it wasn't even released that there was a survivor. She described the shooter as being between six feet and six feet two, six feet two inches tall with a husky build and broad shoulders. He was between 25 to 35 years old. He had braided hair with three to five puffy cornrows pulled to the back of his head in a single braid with four light green beads on its end dangling down his right cheek. It's pretty he was damning. Yeah. He was wearing a charcoal gray ski cap at the time, and he had dark colored, he had a dark colored waist length jacket and black jeans that on the back of them had uh, embroidery with the cursive letter G, which I'm assuming is probably the brand. Yeah. He was estimated to have weighed between 230 and 260 pounds. But what sucked is this shopping center is right by Interstate 80, which goes completely across the country. Yeah. So immediately, investigators feared that he might not even be in the area. Over 7,000 leads flooded the Tenley Park Police Department, the FBI, the Illinois State Police, and the South Suburban Major Crimes Task Force all joined in on the hunt. They were able to produce a composite sketch of him, um, but nothing. Oh, my gosh. Do you – sorry, before we get too far out of there. Do you think that maybe the other sales associate was, like, 17? Like, she was a minor? No, no she was uh, She was 33. Oh, she was 33. Okay. Yeah. They gotcha. just never, because he, I'll get into why in a minute, but her name has never been released and her family's never been released. She has given interviews. She has like issued like statements. Like anonymously? Through, yeah. She has okay. issued statements regarding like what happened and I'll read one of them here in a little bit. Um, 
But there was a lot of outrage following the case. Naturally, you're going to have that in any like mass murder event. But the Tinley Park Police Department, they were under tons of scrutiny because they not sharing enough information about the murders, which was partly to protect the identity of the survivor. It was also questioned if they were even trained to handle a mass murder because the year before there was no murders reported in the area and only 15 reports of robberies. And I'm like talking like petty robberies, not stores being robbed. Like kids getting in your car at night or something. Undoubtedly, this crime shook the suburb. Like this is the best place where you know you go your to family. Your family. <laughs> was it a robbery that had gone bad? Did the shooter panic when he realized that Rhonda had called the police? Connie Woolfolk's family doesn't believe it was a robbery at all because, according to them, and this is where I want to know your retail thoughts. Why would someone rob a woman's clothing store immediately after opening when there was a bank nearby? Most retail stores make your drop the night before. So I'm assuming you start the day with like minimal cash. Yeah, you normally start it with just like, like it depends on the store, but it's typically between like $100 and $300 in a register at a time. So it's not going to be like. No, if if they have have like two registers with 200, like maybe, maybe 400 bucks. Maybe an extra hundred in the safe just in case like a change. And that was kind of like my thought. It's I would be less suspicious had it happened at night, like right before closing, before a drop was made. But you're telling me like. I think that the mall. Okay. The mall is is protected by security guards, like which aren't well trained. Yeah. Okay. So they I have not. And I worked at a pretty high volume mall um like the highest in indiana and our security guards i would say had minimal training uh there and in the mornings there's less people in the mall and targeting a store ran by women i would say you know well this wasn't even like that's just a lot of there's a lot of other stores that open that only have like one or two people in there and you're gonna go in to a store with like five people working seems weird. Well, there were two people working and then two customers. Yeah. Like why would you go? Why would you take customers? Yeah. And why would you not just leave? Like if you're going to like, why would you linger, take two more hostages? And then he was in the store. Um, The survivor said that he was there for like 40 minutes. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, you could have just been like, give me the money in the safe, and they would have done it. Mm -hmm. It would have just been like, here you go. Go. Get out of here. Yeah. That's what you're trained to do. You're trained to be like, take it. And this isn't a mall. Like, when I think of mall, I think of, like, you walk in. There's, like, a bunch of stores on the inside. This is, like, a strip mall. So everything, all their doors are facing. Like, it's like you walk from the outside and go in. It's, you know, like, you have a bunch of stores, like, kind of just connected by a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. have a bank right there. You know, it's just a little suspect to me. I know. And that's I, just, not- I see why they wouldn't have robbed a bank, especially if he was sketchy and like weird. And like, mm-hmm. you know, banks have panic buttons, right? They yeah. Like, hey, right away. I don't it's know. It's just. It he, is. It is weird. And 
you can't understand what he is saying on this 911 call, but you can tell that he really doesn't have his shit together. Yeah, anyone who's taking women hostage and tying them up in the back room of Elaine Bryant doesn't have their shit together. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, but I mean, like, this was not an organized, like... It was, like, seemed very spur of the moment. Yeah, because it, I think of it as at any point, one of those customers walking through the door could have been with their husband or could have kicked his ass. Like, you know... Yeah, not planned. There, Yeah, there's a lot of variables here that really I have some questions about. Did you say what time it happened? What time was it? 10.44. He walked in right after they opened at 10 a.m. Yeah, I was going to say, the store like opens at 10, right? Yeah, and by 10.44, the call was made at 10.44. It is estimated that the um, they were all shot within a minute after that. And then a couple minutes later, the police arrived because there was a police officer like five minutes away. Yeah. And, you know, they get there and he is nowhere to be found nowhere they had helicopters out they were searching highways ravines everywhere with and then they had this sketch of him and still to this day no one has ever came forward with that sketch 10 years after the murders they you know you have it technology just keeps progressing and so 10 years after the murders they released a new sketch that was like a 3d like it looks like a real person and still I mean, they get at least like 60 tips a year about this, and they're still following all of these tips. Um, the five victims are remembered for their personalities, the dedication to their families. Rhonda was remembered by friends as being a great person. Her brother said she, she was a great person. She'd do anything for you. If you needed a dollar and she only had a dollar, she'd give it to you without asking which is very on par with her being like, I'm going to try to save, like I'm going to try and to help. Connie Wolfolk was remembered fondly by everyone um, for being such a good mom and the love that she gave her boys. Even her ex-husband sang her praises, which <laughs> that's a lot just in general. He said she was a good woman. She was ambitious and strong and he didn't have to kill her. And yeah, I was like- also don't talk ill of the dead anyways, but yeah. Yeah. And if you are, if you do, if you ever do that, you're an asshole. The youngest of the victims, Sarah Zafransky, her parents released a statement saying Sarah was loved by all who knew her. And we are counting on that love to sustain us while we mourn. And what does her, Connie's family think? What did they think happened? They think that it was not a random they don't think it was a robbery. They think that one of the people in there, like, like one of the victims was a, was one of the targets. Um, Jennifer Bishop, the one that broke my heart. I mean, they all broke my heart, but knowing like you have three babies, like from seven to yeah. six months, like crushed. She was remembered as being an exceptional person, an exceptional, exceptional nurse. She was very caring of everyone. And then the last victim, uh, Carrie Hudek Chioso, was remembered by family as having that attitude where I'm here and I'm ready to help and I'm going to do my best. And I hate it. Like, I hate that. Um, like, it's they couldn't find any leak. None of these women, they were all completely random. There's, you know, none of them could have known, you know, it's 
it appears that none of them knew their murderer. And it was, if one of them was the target, the other four, like, murder victims were just, they were just, like, random. Like, collateral damage to him. And, like I said, police searched everywhere. They followed every lead. It took them all over the country. They showed the sketches to anyone and everyone. There has, but there's never been an arrest. Detective Ray... Violetto, he was in charge of the investigation back then. And up until 2017, it was the only case he was working. Oh my gosh. So you worked yeah. it for like sheesh. Yeah. They never released they never released what personal items were taken from the victims, but it was find them. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you don't want to you don't want to give everything because that, that way if like something yeah, those is are found, your loose ends. Yep. Um, it was released that one of the victims had been, as the report stated, fondled during the attack. So the surviving witness, um, she told them that, that one of the girls had been sexually assaulted. Um, there was no like further evidence of that other than her saying that like she had been like the other one had been fondled. They never released which victim it was. So. Violetto has been the one who travels for all of these leads. He's been to Texas, Minnesota, North Carolina, Wisconsin. He's gone to D.C. So the murders could be featured on America's Most Wanted where, you know, any case that is shown on that show, you get a ton of tips coming. In November of 2016, him and his partners traveled to Philadelphia because I guess there is something called the Vidoc Society, which is an exclusive crime-solving group. It was formed in 1990, and the organization is made up of current and former law enforcement professionals, detectives, profilers, coroners, forensic scientists, and they aid investigators in solving difficult cases. Nice. Yeah. So they assured them that they have followed every lead that they had. They proceeded as the, like any of them would have. It's just still like they haven't been able to find anything. And he keeps in touch with the victim's families and he provides them with annual updates. He is also in contact with the survivor of the attack, but he refuses to give any information about her away because, you know, if the gunman is still on the loose. Yeah, um, that too. (laughs) She released a statement that said, and this is, They released, like, this is from the actual, like, police department. Like, this is what she put out. On Saturday, February 2nd, an unspeakable tragedy occurred, and five of the bravest women I have ever met were senselessly murdered and taken from their families. My deepest sympathies and condolences go out to their families and friends. Please know that during the unfathomable events that day, their thoughts were focused on you and coming home. My heart aches that they were unable to do so, and I am working with the authorities in any way possible for all of the victims. I ask that the media please respect all of our families and allow us to grieve and cope privately with the horrific crime that ripped our worlds apart. I also ask that that everyone respect that neither I nor my family can discuss the horrible events of that day. I thank everyone who has expressed concern and ask that any person who can assist in the investigation contact the authorities immediately which that's pretty she's brave yeah like she 
That's awful. He, so Detective Violetto thinks that the um, murderer has, is like either currently in jail or deceased because he said it's just his face has been too out there too much for someone to to not know yeah so it's either one of those or someone definitely knows like what happened who did it and he's confident that at some point either there's going to be a breakthrough in dna or forensic evidence or someone will want to clear their conscience they had any dna evidence from him well, they had mentioned fingerprints on the shell casings, but other oh, okay. than that, they have not, there has been nothing like as far as like there is DNA evidence, there isn't DNA evidence. It was, they had mentioned like fingerprints on the shell casings. I, you know, we talked about like falling into the rabbit holes of the internet when you're researching cases. And I spent like 30 minutes reading about how the murderer could have been a woman and that her stat, like the stature could fit a woman as well. And that basing male or female off of a voice on, you know, a recording is difficult. Yeah, but you have a survivor. But if they're in a big, heavy coat. Yeah, I guess. I'm guessing it's probably I would like to guy. see the composite just to know. I, but. I will post the composite. I'm going to show you real quick. Just so you can. Yeah, that kind of looks like it could be a lot of people. There's no features that are like, bam. Yeah, yeah. Other than those green beads you were mentioning, which I thought that was going to bring him down. (laughs) I know. When uh, Detective Violetta was asked if he thought about what it will feel like to make an arrest in the case that has literally occupied most of his time at the Tinley Park Police. His entire career. He said, I think there will be some satisfaction to be able to call the families and tell them we've identified the suspect. Until then, the case is open. He will not declare it a cold case because he said they're constantly getting tips that they're investigating. But like I said, there has been no arrest. But what's crazy is like there is a precedent for cold cases like this in the Chicago area. Cause in 1993, there was another mass murder at a place called Palatine Brown's chicken. And it went unsolved until 2002. Um, six what people, then six people were shot. One person was brutally stabbed. They were all employees. The lady that came forward was an ex-girlfriend of one of the murderers who he told her like, if like you tell anyone, I'll kill you. And then the other thing that I love about forensic evidence, the nail in the coffin for one of the suspects was he had been at this chicken place. He ate chicken, threw the chicken away. And that was like the only thing that was in there. They couldn't test it for DNA at the time, but they saved it. They said just in case. And it leaked the chicken was like, there was DNA evidence from one, from the guy that she's like, this is who killed these people. Dang, man. Shout out, shout out to that ex-girlfriend. Like that's the kind of ex-girlfriend I would aspire to be. Mm -hmm. That petty, like, guess what? You're going down. (laughs) And I think that goes like, you know, obviously if we're going to post pictures, if you on the chance that you know someone or you recognize a voice or anything like that. Um, there is a Lane Bryant tip line. They still 
the Tenley Park government webpage, like their city page, still has a bunch of stuff about this. Because this is the most horrific thing to happen in this town. Like, Well, it probably took them off the list of best place to raise a family. Well, they got that the next year. So I don't know if like oh, okay. after, like, you know, you it's usually for like the year prior if they were like, well, shit. <laughs> maybe next, maybe the next one around. Give that a, give that a year to cool down. Oh but, man, that sucks. Uh-huh. I had like yogurt shop vibes, like with less, tro- like le- less, her, you know, gruesome, but yeah that's still awful like that's the scariest thing ever and even just to be just gone like that like where the hell did he go and there's no surveillance did they ever reveal that there was surveillance the um they never released if like other areas had like you know cctv that like they could look at but lane bryant did not have a surveillance system most mall stores don't like most stores in the mall don't have surveillance they have Uh customer service <laughs> it's just that's insane. why they're annoying you like you're not what the like what is your motive if it's not petty robbery like that's why i was like i wonder if some because i mean maybe he i'd say like maybe he's on drugs you know maybe he's desperate it could be like you know it's just could like be. it's right by i-80 could have been a drifter we talked about that scary drifter on the last episode. Yeah. Nothing surprises me anymore. And it could, you know, like, could he have, like, heard the phone call, panicked, and then I just don't, like, why not just leave? You know, like, why not just run out of there and leave? Like, why go? Because if know. you People left. People in that state of mind. They're, no, there's they no. They can't think. They don't even know what they're doing. I don't think they do. I mean, no, I'm sure they understand what they're doing, but like they're obviously not in a state of mind to be taking care of themselves, let alone like, I don't know. The kind of, I'm kind of talking in circles right now, but no, I it's they're hard shit. Crazy. That's yeah. What and it's really hard to fathom a random murder of five. Well, you tried to murder six people, but hostage situation, too, is crazy. Yeah. I like you're just gonna take five women hostage that's nuts and you're only one person this is why you have to be an extra special type of crazy because usually if I'm running into a store my husband doesn't want to go he's just sitting right outside of it in the car like you don't think at a certain point like he's gonna be like all right Connie's not coming out like I'm gonna go get her like yeah that February could... is kind of a dead time of year, though. Unless Lane Bryant was having their bra sale, then it was a nine ninety nine clearance sale. That's why Rhonda had came in. Yeah, she's like, we're gonna have a lot of people. But what? Like, it's I don't. I get like the suspicion because, like, I also have the question of like, why would you? Unless you were just looking for quick cash, and this went completely wrong. But I would also expect someone who was that moronic with turning a quick robbery into a mass murder would be, if you're that sloppy and it goes from there to there, where are you? That quick, yeah. Where the hell are you? And honestly, if it went that fast, I don't think that that's the first murder that dude has committed. Mm -mm. No way is that the first time that that has happened. No, you're going to assassinate five people like on the ground in front of you. No. Well, and you 
Like, I mean, he assassinated six of them, but yeah. you know, the survivor is kind of like, man, but can you imagine I like getting shot in the neck and then just not making a sound and just laying there pretending to be dead? No, no that's, that's the baddest ass thing I've ever heard. That's crazy. I just, I don't know. I have so many questions and I just have, I remember this on the news. Like this is one of those like crimes that I wasn't, I mean, I had like, you know, podcasts weren't like a thing. So I, I had watched America's Most Wanted. I watched all that kind of stuff, but I had never, this is the first they, I mean, they were playing that 911 call and like you hear her whispering like Lane Bryant. And it breaks me. Like, it breaks me. It does make me glad to not work retail anymore. I don't. Because you just never know who's going to come in. Like, you never know. I've been having that, like, I know we live in a crazy world. But part of the reason why sometimes I have to step back from true crime is I realize how much it engulfs my thinking. Yes. And I, you know, I was researching for this and then I had like the hype, I was hyper fixating on the fact that this could happen at my job. Like what the hell happens? You know, you just, you never know who's pissed off. Like you never know, like what is going on in someone's life to make them think that this is an appropriate response to whatever they're dealing with. And I, I was like having panic attacks about it. I was like, (gasps) Yeah, that's that's a good sign to maybe step back. Maybe don't listen to that one anymore. Yeah, to that story. I um, I read one today that I had to like shut my. I was just shut my phone down. I was like, no, we're good. We're gonna take a br- we're gonna take a breather on that. And it was about a kid, a little his six, and his dad and dad's girlfriend had like tortured him. And she had recorded it on her phone. There were like 200 recordings and you can hear him like crying and it was, it's awful. These are the things where I'm like, sign me up, put me in coach. Put me in coach. Cause I'm I, ready to go a little crazy on people like that. Yeah. That one messed my brain up today. I was like, dude, how? I, <laughs> I don't like, like kid. Anything with kids really fucks me up. Yeah, I think me like, too. <laughs> and I should everyone honestly. Like it's the innocent. Yeah, and it's and the elderly. You know how I <laughs> I'm like, leave me all alone. I can't. Like those are the. I get emotionally attached to all of the cases, which is very hard when you have like a neurodivergent brain like me, because I do hyper fixate on them. And then I like think about it for days and days and days. And I'm like, this is not healthy. This is not a healthy thing for me to be doing right now. All we're saying guys is if you need to take a break, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay to take a break sometimes. It's not that like any, murder case and I I do not want you to come for me for saying this people I anyone let, who might let me get this out before you're like this bitch 
some that's why we mix in like lesser traumatic murders. I get it. They're all traumatic. Someone's life was taken. But that's why I try to not do like where you're like, holy shit. Like, because I think yeah. at a certain point, like if you try to do too many cold blooded, brutal, disgusting murders, one, it's like, all right, it messes us up. It's a bit much. Like for me to be like, it's a bit much because that much bothers me. But I don't want to like say that not all victims are like I, I get upset about, but that's why we they're sprinkle, all important. We sprinkle some lesser traumatic ones. Oracle. On a <laughs> on a funny note, I'm gonna end this on a humorous note. Have any of you guys seen the meme of the girlfriend or wife or whatever? I think it's a girlfriend who would not snitch on her boyfriend and she got 20 years. I didn't see that. Okay. So I saw this meme about it. It's like he he was talking about like how- just his if she was just his girlfriend though, like no, that is that's like <laughs> that's wife money. That's not <laughs> so everyone was like like you know, you start the thread underneath it of like what you would tell on your significant other for. And people were like going back to like, do you know he did this in elementary school? I knew he wasn't right. His mom did this and <laughs> so then I had to stop and think if there's anything that my husband did where I would have his back like that. And I decided, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No, me neither. Like, I am like a ride and going down. <laughs> I'm not a ride or die. Like if I people start dying, not. I'm going to get out of the car. That's yeah. what's happening. <laughs> and one, I'm not a good liar. So you don't want your defense. You to don't want Connie on, on your team. No. And I just was thinking, I was like, is there anything he would do? I think like if it were a crime, like protecting our kids, maybe I could be like, sorry, ma'am. I don't know what you're talking about. But like for to just go to prison, like I go to prison, like having his back is one thing, but like me going to prison, I go to prison. (laughs) I have heard rumors. It is not like orange is the new black. And no, ma'am, not today. Uh-uh, I'm not going. And I went to church camp a few times, and I wasn't even a fan of that. So that's that kind of like prison. That kind of structure, I can't, like. You know, I didn't, I've never gone to church camp, but one time I was like 12 or 13, and I worked at a church camp. I, like, served the food and did dishes, and me and, like, five of my other 13-year-old friends got to stay in one of the cabins and just not do church camp. But, like, for a week. For a week. With was no grown-ups. At, was it at Camp Wendigo? Where is that? Is that at Lake in, Placid? Is that Lake Placid? Oh, no. Man. What? No grown-ups? There was no adults, like, supervising us. No. I am going to need to check the child labor laws, but I don't feel like that was appropriate. (laughs) It was the 90s. It was. (laughs) No, it wasn't. It was the early 2000s, like uh, maybe like 2002 or something. I'll be honest. My, some of my most fond memories were from church camp, but mainly because I like, I liked hanging out with my friends. There were grownups there for, campers 
But like no one was hanging out with us. <laughs> Do people and, not send their kids to like all summer summer camp? Because I grew up thinking that when you got older, every parent sent you to an I all always summer, wanted to go camp. to one. And maybe you'll find your long lost twin sister or <laughs> or the love of your life. <laughs> yeah. I got robbed. We were robbed I, of that, yeah. And then now I'm trying to get rid of my kids all summer. Where the hell are these camps? Where can we send them? <laughs> They're going every summer. <laughs> or can I go? <laughs> can There's a mom summer camp where you just go for the entire summer. I'll sing summer the song. camp. Oh man, that would be so dope. One day we should make that a thing one day. True crime summer camp might not be like a week, but like a weekend. I remember I went to Hmm. church camp and I had to wear a one piece and a t-shirt over my one piece and a t-shirt and a t-shirt. Have you ever tried swimming in a t-shirt? It's not comfortable. No, I never did that. I was like, I'm not doing that. I had to. And like, I still like you were (laughs) swimming with just girls. But just in case they got their eagle eyes to the fences. <laughs> their eagle eyes. <laughs> oh, man. That's hilarious. Well, sorry for the... Yeah, sorry to... for the cold case. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. You never know. It's Maybe video. one day I'll solve it. I hope you do. I hope someone does. Because that's... They will. I have full faith. Fudged um, up. Makes me sad and angry. I have, I think there's two options. I do not feel like the person is in jail because if they have any type of fingerprints, it would ding. Yes. Likely that they are, I mean, it could be that they're dead, but I also think it's likely that they panicked and someone close to them knows what happened. Yeah. I'm going with that too. I kind of am thinking the drifter theory also, that it was just like a random. Yeah. But... I, I guess I would have to know more about like what like did he look disheveled? He said he had cornrows and braids. Were they had they been there a long time or? Yeah, like know. what was the actual? Because it is, it doesn't say anything to like the status of his appearance. Like it didn't say, you know, he looked disheveled. I mean, because he went in there pretending to be a delivery guy. Yeah, I don't know. Scammers are. Uh, that's awful. I hate this case. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, it's, I don't like unsolved cases. I know there's a bunch of them and I just I know there's a bunch of them. I just want to know where the hell did he go in that short amount of time? Because did someone he a- heard gunshots, like guns are loud. Someone would have heard the gunshots. No where did he go? Car. Out like strip mall in February in Chicago, though, mm-hmm. no one's going to be around. There was people at the Super Target across the street, and they were saying how like they didn't realize anything was going on until police started like storming the place. Well, if it's like far across the street, no, like a like like a like a double street, or you like, know, I don't know, like a highway. What kind of a street? Because I'm thinking like. You know, those strip malls where it's just like two lanes. Yeah. You know, and you just like drive through. But if it's like a giant parking lot and then a road and then another giant parking lot and a super target, yeah, I could see how they probably wouldn't know. It's but just there's other that, stores. Like, 
what I mean, it was a snowy day. Like there's no footprints, there's no tire tracks. Oh yeah, that's true. Where the hell did he go? Just popped his wings out and flew back to hell. <laughs> oh, uh, one last little piece. Next week's episode will be our joint episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. so I think. Have we even told them who we're doing? No, nope, it's shouldn't. a surprise. It's a surprise. <laughs> you get a two-parter. We never do those, but a two-parter with both of us. Something that usually our Patreon members only get. So lucky you. We'll see, see you next, you next week. week. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, and you'd like us to keep putting out ad-free content. Here are some of the ways that you can help support Gruesome. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I-knew-them-before-they-were-famous moment. Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. We love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.